Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. You can really control your medical care through a healthcare directive if you're very precise about your wishes. Hello, and welcome to the Age Stage Podcast, where it is our mission to equip you with the resources to navigate life's challenges, empower you to make critical choices with the ones you love as they age, and enrich your life with a renewed sense of self-worth, self-confidence, and peace of mind. I'm your host, Dr. Cheryl Matthew. I'm excited to bring you this episode of Age Sage, legally protecting your legacy, wealth, and wishes with Lavina Mithrani. As an estate planning attorney, Lavina explains how to ensure that your wishes will be honored. She spells out all the pieces to have in place to avoid the costly and time-consuming process of probate, limit your exposure to estate taxes, and how to plan for one's incapacity as it relates to your healthcare and property. With Lavina's guidance, you'll have the tools to make an estate plan in order to ensure that your healthcare and wishes are carried out just the way you want them to be. I'm really happy you're joining us. By the end of today's podcast, you will truly understand why Lavina says, do it now. We'll get rolling right after a word from one of our sponsors. Every passage in life has its ups and downs, decisions and transitions, a beginning and an end. I invite you to navigate life's journey like an age sage, fully living, learning, and loving. As we care for our aging loved ones, we also need to make time to care for ourselves. So this is our safe space to share challenges, wisdom, and joy along life's adventure. I'm your guide, Dr. Cheryl Matthew, and this is Age Sage. So I'm so excited to welcome to the show today, Lavina Mathrani. She's an estate planning attorney. So welcome, Lavina. Thank you very much, Cheryl, for your invitation to be here today. I'm happy to be here. So a question I ask all my guests before we get started is a lighthearted one. Uh, what is your favorite place to vacation? My favorite place to vacation is Mexico. We have a place down there, but there's a beach that I like to go to, which has um, a night, really nice set of lounge chairs. There's people serving drinks. There's a yoga shala next door where I can go take yoga classes. That's my favorite place to vacation. That sounds lovely. I'm ready to. Go. <laughs> I'm ready to go now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's such valuable work that you do, and I'm really excited to share the information with people because it's it's one of the top questions I get answered as far as what type of legal documents do I need and who needs it and what's involved. So I'm excited about getting the information out in a really clear way to really assist people. So first, I'd love to for you to tell us a little bit about the work that you do and the services you offer. Sure. So I'm an estate planning attorney, which means that I help people determine what documents they need to, number one, transfer their assets to beneficiaries. It might be their children or loved ones or to a charity, and also to, to preserve their wishes in regards to health care in case they're unable to make decisions on their own. And I also help people create durable powers of attorneys, which is basically a legal document which allows somebody else to access your banks and make financial decisions on your behalf if you were unable to 
handle these transactions on your own. I was talking to a friend last night and she reminded me that she's like, Cheryl, I know nothing about what I need to plan for. And she's around 60 years old. It reminded me that the documents and the legal terms and things like that are so confusing. And we don't typically think about it until it's, you know, people feel like it's something that you need to handle when you're really old or when you're just about to die or, or some other time besides um, right now. Or if somebody is extremely wealthy, that's the only time people need to trust. That's a common misperception. Right, right, right. Like, oh, I don't need that. It's not for me. Or I don't need that yet. Exactly. One tip we were talking about, what are the top tips? And I love the top tip that you had for everybody. Tell us, what is that one thing that you want people to know? Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. I love that. If you just take away one thing from today, it's don't put it off, don't procrastinate. And then Levine is going to go into details about what is it, right? What That's right. do you need to do? What, you know, what is for you? So we'll, we'll be talking about that. And so you'll, you'll get it. But if it's one takeaway today, it's don't put it off. That's right. What are the things people really need to put in place no matter what age they are? It's really important to have, at the minimum, a will, a healthcare directive, and a durable power of attorney, at the minimum. And the reason why these documents are important is because, number one, the will, what it will do is it sets forth your wishes as to what you'd like or who you'd like your property to go to upon your death. So this could be personal effects like money in a bank account, or it could be something that's very sentimental to you, like a wedding ring or some other piece of jewelry. But it's some, it's a legal document that preserves your wishes and the court is required to follow what's in that document. But the key word I said is the court. So a will requires the intervention of the court. So there's a legal proceeding which takes a long time and it's costly, which is why most people try to avoid of that process through establishing a trust. I'll get into the trust later, but the will, the healthcare directive, which is a legal document that sets forth your wishes regarding your care if you were unable to make healthcare decisions on your own. So that would mean if you no longer want any uh, measures taken to prolong your life or if you don't want certain medications or certain procedures, all of this would be documented in this legal document. And whoever you appoint as your healthcare agent will follow your wishes. And thirdly, the durable power of attorney, that's a document that I, I can't emphasize the importance of enough because it's a document that gives power to an agent to access your finances. And I think I mentioned this earlier, it's really important in case you're unable to make those transactions on your own. If you're in a coma, but have bills that need to be paid, somebody needs to pay it. And this gives that power to that person to pay it on your behalf. So it's a will, a healthcare directive, and a durable power of attorney are the three, very at the very least. And then in addition to that, I know there's a trust is there anything besides a trust 
So we just lay out the terminology. Sure. So a trust is a legal contract that expands one's options when it comes to managing assets, whether you're trying to shield your assets from taxes or to pass it on to children, loved ones, or a charity that you care about. Essentially, what it does is it's, it's really a legal fiction because what it does is it creates this third party, which is the trustee, and assets are transferred to the trustee who holds the assets on behalf of the beneficiary. What that does is it divests or it takes away ownership from the individual and assigns it to a trustee. So this allows you to avoid probate. And that's the big deal about establishing a trust is that it helps you avoid probate, which truly nobody wants to go through. Another important document is the nomination of a of conservator. And this is important in case somebody loses mental capacity. You have the durable power of attorney that gives an agent a po the power to access finances, etc. But there are times when the durable power of attorney may be lost or for whatever reason, it may be ineffective. Maybe the agent has passed away. Although usually you also nominate an alternate to the first choice. So it, that shouldn't be a problem, but there are times when a conservatorship proceeding is necessary in probate court, which is also timely, costly. It's most importantly, it takes a lot of time and it can delay any situation. So a nomination of conservator is a legal document that appoints a conservator in the event a person is unable to to make decisions on their own. And it's the person who will essentially take care of the person until either they regain their mental capacity or they pass away. I've been working this business for probably 20 years and all these different people's stories are going through my mind as far as, oh, that person really could have used that document at that time. Oh, this person, I'm glad they had this document at that time to really help. So all these different stories are kind of going through my mind. Yes, me too. What would you say are the top reasons people end up calling you? The top reasons people call me, it's usually families with children who are minors. So they want to make sure that their children are going to be taken care of if something were to happen to them. Another reason why people call me is if they've had a death in the family and this the decedent had a trust that they now want to administer. Um, I often get calls in regards to conflicts between siblings or family members after somebody has passed away and a trust is being administered and they feel they're not being properly taken care of. And there are also elderly families that reach out to me because, you know, they're starting to plan for their demise. It seems to me like when something happens, say in the news, or maybe if, if it's to a loved one, people start to, to think about what, how does that affect me? What do I need to get into place? You know, the, whether it's, um, you know, they heard of a, someone passing away in a car accident immediately or a fire or something, someone passing away. I find people start thinking about what do I need to put in place? So 
that's the really, I think when you're saying don't put it off is because we never know. It's just, it's not just for planning. Oh, if you're 80 and above, you might want to start thinking about this, but really anybody, it sounds like anybody 18 and over can really have these, the basics in place at any time. That's right. And especially for children who are now going off to college, they've just recently turned 18 and they're going to school. It's really important that for these children, you do have a durable power of attorney and a healthcare directive because automatically, once they attain the age of 18, parents no longer have the right to make decisions for them. So it's really important to have those documents in place. That's a good point. So if, if your child is over 18 they're, and they're away at college or even if they're home and something happens, do the parents have a right automatically just in a hierarchy of people to call that the doctors could talk to them or is it mandatory to have the, the papers in place or how does that work? Well, doctors can no longer talk to parents because of HIPAA laws. So it would be a HIPAA violation for the doctor to talk about the medical condition of the child. It seems really unbelievable, but there have been situations where parents have been prevented from knowing their own children's physical conditions. And it's a big problem. Now, I know we all sign HIPAA forms every time we go to a doctor recently, but tell us what HIPAA is. HIPAA is a set of laws that protects people's privacy in regards to their health care. A random person cannot call a doctor's office and inquire about, say, you know, Joan Smith's medical conditions and medical reports and examination notes, etc. It cannot be given to anybody else without the consent of the patient or the individual that's in, in question. And it stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act? Yes. Which is privacy laws that, that's, so anyways, referred to as HIPAA. That's a really great point. So if someone wanted to get a durable power of attorney or a healthcare directive, how would they do that? I, I know I've heard some people go online to, um, you know, kind of an automated generic legal service. And some people go to a office supply place to buy a, a document and just fill it out. So what's the best way for people to, to get those documents in place? I think the best way to get the documents in place is to go to an attorney because an attorney can prepare a document that's valid in every situation. You can also get over-the-counter healthcare directives and durable powers of attorneys. I don't have as much of an issue with that as I do with a trust that you can get online. Yeah, so you could find a really good healthcare directive or durable power of attorney online or at some office supply store. I think people have done that, but I, I don't know the quality of those. We've talked about in another podcast, we talked about five wishes as one advanced healthcare directive. So something like that would be okay. And for like a will and a trust, it sounds like those things are important to see an actual attorney, estate planning attorney, to make sure that it's worded right. Yes. And even with the healthcare directive, I think there's so much subjectivity to it that 
it's really better to go with an attorney and so that you can personalize it. Those forms that you can get, I think it's just a check the box type form. Um, whereas you can really control your medical care through a healthcare directive if you're very precise about your wishes. I saw one of the forms that you had written up for advanced healthcare directives, and I loved all the all the unique things that you thought of to guide people through, including their spiritual beliefs, uh, what they wanted for their funeral, like if they wanted someone in particular to check with, like if they were in the hospital, you know, check with this person or that person. I really was amazed at all the things that you thought of to ask and to, how to guide people through an advanced healthcare directive so they could really tap into what they would want if they were no longer able to speak for themselves, that they could actually control things and, and have things the way they wanted. Thank you. And I, and I do think that's one of the things that differentiates me with different attorneys is that I'm interested in spirituality and I take a spiritual perspective when it comes to death. I don't see death as a completion. I see death as a continuation rather of life, but in a different dimension. And so I think that allows me a different approach towards estate planning and to death in general. I find that we'll just talk about people in the United States in general, like death and dying is still kind of a taboo subject. It's getting better, but it's still a subject that can be scary to talk about. Either people don't want to talk about it or are reluctant to talk about it. And it seems like that fear is one of the motivators of why people don't get these documents in place. So I would love to hear more about how your spirituality affects your practice and how you go about giving people more calm and peace about this, the subject. Firstly, my office is decorated a little differently for most attorneys. <laughs> I have a, a little statue of Buddha. I have pieces of art that I think are kind of tranquil in nature. So I think my office and my demeanor is also rather peaceful. And that creates an environment that's conducive to discussing a difficult topic like death. I had a friend of mine, and I was his power of attorney and trustee of his of estate. And he was very specific with what he wanted, which was such a gift to me because I, I just wanted him to have what he wanted. And it was just probably a year before he passed away till we got all the documents in place. But he was very specific with, he wanted the same casket that his mother had. He wanted this outfit. He wanted this to be put in his casket with him. So it was really nice because if some of his friends, because he didn't really have any family left, he just had friends. But if his friends had different opinions, everything was in writing. So I knew he was getting exactly what he wanted. And especially with the casket, the ca it was funny because with the casket, like he wanted this amazingly expensive casket. I think it was like $12,000, <laughs> <Wow. laughs> but it was important to him and it was exactly what his mother had. So, you know, if it were me, cause I like a good deal and, uh, you know, I just wanted to be cremated. So to spend that much money on a casket didn't make sense to me, but uh, you know, so when I'm in the funeral home, you know, ordering this stuff and they're like, it's $12,000. 
it was really clear and easy for me to spend that money on him. And it was an honor for me to go, yes, this is not what I would choose, but I know he would want that. So it was, it was a gift to me for him to be so specific with his desires in the, through creating these documents that you're talking about. Absolutely. Specificity is key. And the other key is choosing someone you absolutely trust to follow your wishes. Why is your work so important? What drives you to do this work? I think, like we touched on before, it's fear that prevents people from taking care of these, you know, legal documents. And when they meet me, I think I put them at ease and they trust me and they're willing to share difficult family dynamics, et cetera, with me. They know it's a safe space and they know I'll do a good job. And to me, finding a trustworthy, good lawyer with integrity is key. Um, you know, I've had clients before that have gone to some uh, say like a trust and estate planning workshop that they have, you know, they'll have hundreds of people in a room and they're kind of selling this generic product to these people that don't know the difference between a well-written trust and one that is may not hold up, you know, when they need it, may not have the wording that they need it. And it makes me feel sad that they don't have, you know, that they're kind of getting taken advantage of. So when you're talking about how people trust you, I mean, that's, that's such an important piece to this. So for, you know, I really suggest people, you know, if they want to use you, but anybody they choose that they make sure that the person is trustworthy because these documents and this, this work is so important that, you know, it's, it's good to find someone trustworthy. Yes. And it's funny because I joke about this with my friends and with my partner. It's as though with every single client that comes in, I fall in love with, with, and so I'm constantly falling in love with my clients. <laughs> I love the stories that each one has, the, the different issues that each family faces. And I like to listen to them. And sometimes just by listening, I figure out that, oh, this family doesn't need just a regular trust. They also need a special needs trust for their autistic child. And obviously, I ask them about their children, etc. But in this one situation... A family came in and he started talking about his brother who was autistic. So then I inquired about his parents who were still alive and found out they only had a regular living trust. So then their parents became clients of mine and were in the process of setting up a special needs trust for his brother, which this never would have happened. And he would have inherited a chunk of money based on the current trust that they had. And it would have ruined him in terms of his eligibility for benefits. So it's through having this human relationship that we learn about our clients and then figure out other ways to be of service. And to me, that's a tremendous gift. And it's what motivates me to, to do this work. I really love my clients and want to help them. I would love to go down the individual, the three, I'd say the four top ones. So will, healthcare directive, power of attorney, and trust. And if you could just let us know like how, how to go about setting it up, um, maybe just what's involved, 
just a brief takeaway on each of those. So people, they'll have an actionable step and they know what to look for or the keys to that. So they know when they set it up that they'll have it done correctly. Sure. Well, some guidelines I can provide is if you have any assets over $150,000, you definitely want to have a trust. That's a simple kind of way to look at it. But if you have less than $150,000, but that's property, you may still want to have a trust so you don't, you can avoid even the, so I need to preface this by saying within the probate context, there's two different ways of going through probate. There's a small estate, which is up to $150,000. And then there's anything above $150,000. So anything above $150,000 is extremely time consuming and expensive and quite frankly, a headache for people going through it. So that's one way. And the small estate affidavit or small estate way of going through it is when there's less than 150000 That's a lot more straightforward. But if you own real estate, it's still an easier process, but it's better to have a trust um, because then you can avoid that whole small probate process in its entirety. It's a much better way to go. To get started in the process, you'd, you'd want to consult an attorney to first talk about your current what isness. So by what isness, I'm talking about how much money you have, what your net value is, what kind of assets you have, what kind of family structure you have, and then having the attorney advise you on what kind of estate plan you need, what kind of trust. If you're in a blended family context, you might need a QDOT or a QTIP trust. These are a lot more complicated that I, I don't think we should cover in this conversation, but you need to know that there are sub-trusts, basically, that cover different scenarios. So if you're in a non-traditional relationship, like if you're single, that's a reason to definitely go see an attorney to talk about your estate. Or if you're in a blended family situation, like I just said, it's important to see an attorney and don't try to do a generic online trust in those situations because you may end up hurting yourself in the long run, hurting yourself and your family. You could do the healthcare directive and durable power of attorney based on something you find online, but then you miss out on getting advice about what's really good for you and what is comprehensive for your situation, personal situation. So I highly recommend seeing an attorney to get started. And there's two terms. There's an estate planning attorney and an elder law attorney. Can you tell me the difference between those two so people understand? Well, actually, estate planning is part of elder law. So there's an overlap there because elder law encompasses issues such as long-term care, estate planning, conservatorships, elder abuse, etc. So there is overlap in that regard in that estate plans are prepared for the elderly, but estate plans are not necessarily only for the elderly, just as we talked about previously. Some people have heard about Medicaid or Medi-Cal planning for long-term care. Do they see an elder law attorney for those type of questions? Yes, they should find an elder law attorney that specializes in Medicaid and Medi-Cal and 
you know, these federal programs that are available, federal and state programs. It's possible that this attorney who specializes in um, Medicaid, et cetera, is also an estate planner. It's possible. Okay. So I've, I personally get a lot of calls from people who have loved ones with dementia. So that's uh, memory loss, cognitive impairment. So their thinking is, is not as clear as it used to be. And they're wondering what documents they need in place or how, how do you help people with family members with Alzheimer's or some type of dementia? I've had people come to me on the onset of dementia or Alzheimer's, wherein the person still had capacity to execute a durable power of attorney. And that was great. The person executed durable power of attorney, healthcare directive. They already have their trust and will done, but for whatever reason, didn't have a healthcare directive and durable power of attorney. So I've helped that person and others actually obtain and execute durable powers of attorneys and healthcare directives. I've also represented really sad situations where, for example, a daughter reached out to me. She was, I think, about 22 years old. And her mother had recently had a stroke. And although she regained consciousness, she lost her mental faculties, a lot of it. And so she wasn't able to make decisions any longer. She had a small business, etc. And in that situation, she had no durable power of attorney, no healthcare directive, no trust, no will, nothing. So we're in the process of going through conservatorship to allow the daughter to handle all of her affairs. And after that's done, we're going to establish a trust, etc. But that's how I, I've been of service to people with Alzheimer's, dementias, or other mental incapacities. You bring up a good point. And some people talk about conservatorship, how it relates to people with dementia. So my understanding is that many times or most times, people that have loved ones with dementia never need to go get a conservatorship, which is getting the court involved and being responsible for that person's decisions that the family can just handle handle their business and handle their finances without having a conservatorship. But some people do need a conservatorship. Can you tell us when, you know, what is a conservatorship as it relates to people with some kind of brain impairment? When is it needed? A conservatorship is needed when a person doesn't have a person appointed to take care of their needs and make decisions for themselves. So, for example, you know, that lady who had mental incapacities after her stroke, right? Other times when, when uh, people will require a conservatorship is if you're single and unmarried and don't have children and have not appointed anyone to be your conservatorship or given power of attorney to anybody. Right. Under those circumstances, you would, uh, you know, a friend or somebody would have to go through the conservatorship process to have control over the person's estate and, and person. So if I say I'm married and my spouse has dementia and I, I think it's time to move them into in a memory care community. Can I just make that decision for them or do I need to get a conservatorship? You said you're a spouse. If I'm the spouse, 
you're most likely going to be able to put them in, you know, select a home for them. But I'm not sure. There are times, there are situations where the home may be more by the law than you'd want them to be. So it, it really depends on the situation. What about if I say I'm a, I'm, my, I'm a daughter and my mom has dementia, she's not married anymore. Can I make that decision? You know, I'm assuming, look, it's a good situation. I would be, I would be as a daughter acting in her best interest. And I think it's time she go into a memory care community or a home. As a daughter, can I make those choices for her? Or is that part of the power of attorney or healthcare directive? Yeah, you need to have a healthcare directive or durable power of attorney. You, another person cannot make decisions for another person unless they have the legal power to do so. And it seems like different states have different laws as far as sometimes, and I guess in this, I would like for you to define what capacity is, but sometimes in certain states, it seems like someone needs like two doctors to say this person does not have capacity and cannot act on their own behalf anymore. And it may be different in each state, I guess I'm showing my confusion. So I need some, so I would like some clarity for around that topic. There is a legal definition for capacity. And there's different definitions for different scenarios. Like for example, capacity to enter into a contract may be slightly different from testamentary capacity. So, so people are, the court is more lenient when it comes to testamentary capacity. So that means executing a will or a trust, unless it's like the will or trust seems really egregious or wrong in some way. If it's a very simple trust or will, wherein, you know, the testator says, or the trustor says, I give everything to my children and equal shares. That's, that's not going to be questioned. Even if maybe the trustor had a level of dementia or Alzheimer's, etc. Whereas, did the person have capacity to enter into a contract? That's a different definition altogether. And there's a stronger, uh, I'm sorry, a higher threshold for that. So, there's a whole probate code section about it. It brings up a good point because my wondering is, how does an attorney or say a financial planner uh, or people that assist other people in important decisions in their life decide whether someone has the capacity to enter into doing something or making a choice? I'll tell you, my grandfather, my mother was taking care of my grandfather and my grandfather met a new woman. Uh, so he was in his, so we'll say he's around 80. And she ended up moving in and she and then a friend of hers ended up after about a year taking my grandfather who had a dementia diagnosis on his chart at, in the doctor's office. Uh, the girlfriend took my grandfather to an attorney, changed all his papers, and then also changed all his financial information. So she is the beneficiary instead of my mother. And so... I wonder, you know, so we saw an elder law attorney at that time in the state that he was in, and they said, well, there's not much you can do because no, you know, he, the doctors didn't say, or the, the, there was two 
two doctors didn't have it in writing that he wasn't, didn't have capacity anymore. So he was able to make any decision he wanted to. But then the professional that he goes to, say the uh, estate planning attorney, how does the attorney know when it's okay to enter in the contract or not? Or say if they go to a financial person, when is someone, I guess, a victim of elder abuse, fiduciary abuse, or when can they make a decision? It seems like there's a, a line It's at some point of when someone can't make that decision. And I'm wondering, what is that line? And especially for someone when they come to you as an, a lawyer, how can you tell if it's okay for them to enter into the, the contract? First and foremost, it boils down to moral ethics. How ethical is the attorney that you go to, right? Because an ethical attorney, which I consider myself one, if there's anything suspicious, I always ask myself, okay, who's my client? My client is not in your example that you gave me, is my client is not his new wife. My client is your grandfather. So it's my duty to consider, okay, is the changes that she's requesting something I think he would actually ask for, right? And if it seems strange in any way, I would demand a medical opinion stating that he has capacity to make changes. So in that situation, I would have asked for medical documentation, his doctor saying that he has capacity. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made that those changes. Good point. So you look for suspicious activity or um, you look for anything that might just be out of sorts. That's yes, not really a good way to put it. But Anything that seems to be a situation where somebody is taking advantage of someone right? If it seems like there could be a tinge of that, I'm extremely cautious. And I study the situation very carefully. Mm. Make sure that, you know, if he really does want to want the changes, I'll interview the, the person without the wife. So in your context, I would have talked to your grandfather alone without anybody else in the room to really talk to him get a sense of where he is mentally, get a sense of what his heart's desire is, and, you know, make sure that that's what I honor, not what somebody else wants him to do. Right. So I guess it's really up to the the professional to make that that choice. Yes. And I have in the past met someone who had a large amount of wealth, significant amount of money, who had living siblings and nephews and uh, nieces, but wanted to give all of her wealth to her friend, which could be contested, etc. So anything that's out of the ordinary, I actually videotape and I'll interview the trustor and say, so you're here to establish your living trust. Do you know what day it is, etc.? I'll ask questions and have a videotape recording of it. And ask them, what's your intention? What are your wishes? And have that documented in case of any kind of conflict in the future. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, it's good evidence. So I know we talked about the importance of letting people know where your stuff is. And you wanted to say something about that. 
Yes, I wanted to stress the importance of having a living list of all your accounts, including bank accounts, online accounts, safety deposit boxes, IRAs, etc. And if you've designated a beneficiary for any of those accounts, who those beneficiaries are. This document, I call it a living list because it's something that you update as things change, because things do change as life goes on. But having a list like this helps your children or beneficiaries or whoever is going to be handling your estate upon your passing to make sure that everything is taken care of. They can find the assets, they can take care of it, they can do what needs to be done. And without a list, it's hard to track everything down. That's a really good point. And these days, having passwords, knowing the passwords for different accounts or your Facebook account <laughs> is important. When someone gets these estate planning documents done, where's the best place to keep them? Some attorneys recommend that you keep it in a safety deposit box, but that I only suggest if you give your a copy of your estate plan to other people. So let's say your successor trustee. If that person has a copy of the estate plan, then you can keep the original in the safety deposit box. But otherwise, it should be somewhere where your family knows about it or you, that's easily findable it can be difficult if you can't locate it. Usually the attorney who prepares it will have a copy. Like I have a copy of all my clients, all the work that I've done, but um, it's a hassle to try to track down. Those are amazing tips and such practical information. So to wrap this package up, what I heard you say was that, first of all, don't wait. Do it now, don't procrastinate. And the documents that are needed are get a will, healthcare directive, a durable power of attorney. And then, especially if you have an estate or things, stuff valued at over $150,000, get a trust in place and possibly also a nomination of conservator. Did I get that right? That's right. And if you own property, make sure you get a trust. What's the document that's most valuable if you have minor age children, children of minor age? That's the will. In the will, you can set up, appoint the guardian for the children. So it's the will. If someone, if someone has children of minor age, that is the will where you can assign a guardian or someone who takes care of them if you're no longer around to take care of them. Yes, that's right. And you'd want a trust along with the will so that you can dictate how you want your assets used for your child's care. Okay, beautiful. And it's really important. I mean, there's so many examples, like, you know, you just turn on the news one day, and you'll see lots of examples of, you know, accidents happen. So it's not just for people who are, you know, over 80 years old. It's great to have these documents in place so that your stuff is handled, and then you can get on to living. It brings peace of mind. Completing these documents brings peace of mind. You know that these little issues are taken care of. Right. You know, it's funny. Um, a good friend of mine who's actually a financial advisor and deals with these kind of things all the time, he recently got all his, his legal documents in place, and he's got some 
children that are over 18 and also a daughter who's under 18. And after he finished, uh, he and his wife both said, you know, we feel like we're adults now. We really <laughs> took care of business and, and they had this whole new peace of mind. And it's the same way I felt too. Recently, I updated my my information and it was amazing. I, I think I did it the first time maybe seven years ago. And so my daughter was around four and it was amazing how many changes I wanted to make even in those like seven years. Say with the guardian, I chose a different guardian for her. And some people, you know, look at that like every year they decide, oh, it's, you know, are there any changes that I want in my overall plan? So do it now. Lavina, this information that you've offered is so valuable. So thank you so much. Are there any resources that you want to share with people who are interested in your services or services they may need? And we'll also have information in the show notes, but anything that you want to tell them about? Absolutely. If you want to um, read my website, you're welcome to look at it at www.matharanilaw.com. That's spelled M-A-T-H-R-A-N-I-L-A-W.com. And I'm happy to offer $150 off to anybody who comes to me through this podcast. And you can email me directly at Lavina, L-A-V-E-N-A, at Mathrani Law. Again, that's M-A-T-H-R-A-N-I-L-A-W.com. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them for you. That's fantastic. Any final thoughts for our sages out there to remember? Don't be afraid of death, but don't be afraid to plan for it either. Make sure you plan for it and make it easier for the people you leave behind. And a cluttered and unclear estate plan or having no estate plan is so stressful for the people who are left behind. So take care of these matters so that it's easy for the people you leave behind. All right. That's beautiful. And it is a gift. It's a gift to the people that, that uh, your loved ones. Yes. Lavina, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Cheryl, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Thank you for joining us. At Age Sage, our aim is to equip you with resources to navigate life's challenges empower you to make critical choices with your aging loved ones, and enrich your life with a renewed sense of self-worth, self-confidence, and peace of mind. I want to take a moment to ask you to rate, review, and recommend this podcast. Age Sage is a new podcast that we created just for you, but no one will know about it if our listeners don't spread the word. So please take a moment now to review it and share it with friends whom you know would benefit from it. If you have a burning question that you would like me to answer on the show, please head over to agesage.co and leave me a voicemail. There you will also find detailed show notes for each episode, and you can download my free ebook, Advocating for Aging Loved Ones. Once again, that's agesage.co, A-G-E-S-A-G-E dot C-O. This is Dr. Cheryl Matthew, and I want to thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to sharing this journey with you.